Welcome to Intrepid Media, the show for the business professional. Here, we're going to talk about business topics such as leadership, sales, marketing, HR, innovation, strategy, and technology. But we're also going to riff about lifestyle too and help you look better, feel better, and live better. This show is everything the modern business professional needs, from the C-level executive to the millennial. So let's get on with the show. Good morning and welcome back to Intrepid Business. I am your host, Todd Schnick. Going to be a very important conversation. With all the business conversations I've had on this show over the years, have never really talked about the subject matter of today's conversation. A new book out there, it's going to be pretty cool to talk about. You may recognize at the end of this conversation that you or I are perhaps a schmuck, and that will make more sense in just a second. I'm joined today by Dr. Jody Foster. She's a clinical professor of psychiatry. She's also the author of a new book called The Schmuck in My Office, How to Deal Effectively with Difficult People at Work. Jody, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, the pleasure is mine, Jody. I'm grateful for your time. I know you're awfully busy, so so pleased that you swung by and visited with us. Uh, before we get into our conversation around this uh, great new book of yours, take a quick minute. Tell us a bit about you, your background, and the work that you're out there doing. Sure. So I've been at the Penn Health System for nearly 30 years. And in 1998, I decided to go back and get an MBA in finance, thought about, you know, what direction my career was heading. But what I found when I arrived there was that I was a surprising commodity in my class, where all of my classmates would come in week after week after week with their problems with their coworkers, um, their friends, their spouses. And they were just really interested in what I had to say about why people were acting the way that they did. And I recognized that there might be a role for me in the business sector in terms of helping to understand these questions. And so at the end of business school, a partner and I developed a a product to evaluate management teams for venture capital companies because venture capital tends to be very thorough in their due diligence process, except around uh, evaluating the actual people that they're investing in. And that was going quite well until the tech bubble burst. And that sort of brought me back full swing into my uh, medical job. I was promoted at Penn. At this point, I'm the vice chair of clinical operations for all of the entities of the health system. But in about 2008-2009, the Joint Commission on Accreditation of Hospitals announced or, or made what what is a relatively intuitive statement, but it changed the face of medicine, which was that disruptive physician behavior can be a patient safety and quality issue. And uh, from that mandate to intervene with that type of situation came a entire niche for me and a program that started in medicine, but eventually uh, sprouted out to other sectors about intervening with difficult and disruptive behavior in the workplace. Outstanding. Well, yeah. Gosh, let me lead off the conversation by saying this is something that applies to every one of us. We all exist in a some sort of an organizational structure, whether it's a nonprofit or a large enterprise corporation or a small business, and we deal with people every day that are difficult. And and it's it's one of those things where I, I think people don't realize the significance of how dealing with schmucks in the workplace 
affects their their satisfaction with their work, their ability to do their work, uh, be creative and solve problems and serve a marketplace. I mean, it, it's it's a extraordinarily prevalent issue. I guess the the lead off question would be, I mean, I, how do I identify? difficult or disruptive behavior at work. I mean, I guess you know it when you see it, but I also suspect there's a case where there are people in that you're working with who are disruptive and maybe you don't realize it. I mean, walk us through how to actually identify this problem. Yeah. So um, you, you brought up a number of, of good points. Conflict comes in sort of endless shapes and sizes and difficulty or disruptive behavior can be anywhere and everywhere every single time we interact. So you put two people together and you have the opportunity for some kind of conflict. And and you mentioned that difficult people are everywhere. The other thing that's idiosyncratic about this particular topic is that what might be difficult for you might be really easy for me. And so the person that you might label a difficult person, I might think is, is just fine. And similarly, somebody that I I find utterly vexing, you may think is great. And so there are so many twists and turns to this that in the question of how do I recognize disruptive behavior, I think you're right. You know, some of it is so overt. Obviously, if somebody comes to work and punches you in the face, that's not, you know, a tough one. But when somebody just makes you feel something that you didn't expect to feel and it kind of sticks with you, and maybe it sort of creeps into the rest of your day, and maybe it even creeps into your evening or your dreams at night. Sometimes it can be so subtle and so insidious that you really don't even realize it, sometimes until days or even weeks later. And so I think the, the important points are that, you know, we're all different. We all bring our personality traits to work. And if you're really well matched in a culture and everyone's the same way or, or expects a certain type of behavior, then, you know, chances are things are going to go okay. But if you are misplaced in a culture or if this, you know, seemingly difficult or disruptive person is misplaced or they're under stress and behaving in a way that's, you know, sort of regressed for them, it's going to happen. And the point of it is when you see it, at least identify it so you can do something about it. Well, well, we have to remember that we're dealing with humans, right? <laughs> and humans are messy, flawed characters, and we all have these idiosyncrasies that make us unique. I, I, right. I want to ask a question along the lines of, all right, well, what can a management team or a leadership team do to mitigate this problem? And I'm not sure that that's the right question. I mean, obviously, part of the process here is in the recruiting and hiring phase and, and trying to do your due diligence to, to assure that someone is a fit with the organization's culture. And that, I mean, we're getting better at that, I think, and we're more attuned to that part of this recruiting and talent recruiting process. Right. But I think at the end of the day, is it still largely a matter of this has to be an individual situation where you are interacting with people in your office, whether they're your peers, whether they're your 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 direct reports, or whether they're your your leaders. That yeah, I mean, have... I, I think there's two parts to it. You know, there's absolutely the, the day-to-day interactions one-on-one. But then there are the structural interventions or the structural things you can put in place as a manager or as a company or as an HR team that really can make a difference. So you, you're right. In the recruitment process, if you if you notice something and you don't follow it up, uh, at least in my experience, that's what's always come back to bite me. And 
you know, if somebody, as I say in the book, when I'm discussing uh, people with sociopathic tendencies, if somebody's in an interview process and simply seems too good to be true, well, you know, you would really be advised to determine whether in fact they are too good to be true. So you really do need to do a careful due diligence process at the front door uh, as much as you can. But once in, a company does better when they have very clear policies, procedures, missions, and sort of a cultural mode of operation. And the clearer that we as people individually and as companies can be in laying out the rules of engagement for the setting where one is, the better it's going to go. Because oftentimes when people have uh, been disruptive or disrupted an organization or are called out on it, they say, well, I didn't know that was a problem. And everyone sort of is standing there in shock. Well, I, I, as as running my little media company, you know, the Intrepid organization, I, I have this sincere devotion to be as good a leader as I can be. And I try to be communicative and I try to be supportive and I try to uh, my intentions in my heart and in the way I'm in viewing my role here is is with the most loving of intentions. But not a week passes where I don't piss someone off. And I, I guess it leads to another thing I've heard you talk about, that that we, we, we oftentimes, when, when a schmuck wrongs us in some way, shape, or form, we think they are out to get me. They are doing this on purpose to me. Right. And that's I, I almost want to feel that that's rarely the case, right? That's actually one of the basic principles that I lay out in the book. You have to accept that people do not set out to be disruptive. People do not wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm going up against Todd today. I'm, you know, I'm going to cause trouble here. They just don't. It just it, it tends to happen because of almost the, the, the chemistry of the interaction that happens in a day or in a period of time. All right. Dr. And Jody- like I said, what can be disruptive in one culture may be perfectly acceptable in another. Absolutely. All right. Dr. Jody Foster and I will return after this short break. We'll be right back. In today's workplace, business leaders face significant pressure to recruit and retain the best employees, to effectively build a team, to create a culture that is healthy, productive, and dynamic, and to empower their staff in managing stress and finding balance. And behind all those pressures is one goal, to strengthen and grow the business. And too many organizations struggle with this. Unlimited Coaching Solutions provides customized strategies and training to help reach your goals and take your teams to the next level. Call them today at 585-248-9322 or find them online at unlimitedcoaching.com. All right, I'm back with Dr. Jody Foster, author of The Schmuck in My Office. So, all right, so we kind of laid out the scenario there before the break of, of what's happening here. How do we deal with this? So we have a schmuck in our office. What is the appropriate way to address this? So I think that, first of all, let me be clear why um, I, I chose the title, The Schmuck in My Office. Yes. The, the reason is that an overwhelming majority of the consults that I get, when I pick up the phone, what I hear on the other end is, Jody, I should have called you about this person 10 years ago. I have this real schmuck in my department <laughs> or I have this jerk in my office. And you know what we find is that 
in more cases than not, in most cases, people aren't, you know, truly jerks and schmucks. They have personalities. We all have personalities. We all have texture. This is what makes us different. Otherwise, we would all be, you know, beige and, and the same, and that wouldn't be particularly exciting. And we bring those personalities to work with us. And so what's important to know is that people can often be categorized by these themes and traits in their in their behavior and then their behaviors can be generalized and if we can get underneath what is driving them to behave in this way and find empathy for what makes them do things that we might perceive as ugly or unpleasant we're going to have a much much better chance of getting along with them Ideally, when something happens, instead of sitting on it and instead of talking to other people about it, if you can call out what you see, when you see or feel it, and just directly and concisely say, you know, I don't like what happened, that's going to go best. Early intervention is key. Well, explain what you mean by intervention, because when I, when I hear the word intervention, I'm imagining this scenario where I, by which you round up a bunch of uh, family members or, or friends and neighbors <laughs> and colleagues, and, and, and you do this intervention. This is what you see on TV in Hollywood. I, how, explain what you mean by that, using that phrase in the context of dealing with the issue. Intervention for me just means basically doing something. So again, just to use a ridiculous example, somebody comes and punches me in the face. I say, I don't like that you just punched me in the face. What made you do that? That's what I'm talking about, just an intervention. So you mentioned before that you know you, you have all the best intentions and yet uh, every week you piss someone off. And I would invite you to you know, as saying, am I the schmuck in my office? Because that's what you're essentially asking here, which is a really evolved thing to ask. And I would say, why did I piss you off? What happened? What did I do? And as you collect, if it truly happens every week, as you collect these examples, you might find for yourself that there are themes that bother people. And again, this is, I'm asking you to do something very evolved that most people can't do, but then you can say, wow, it seems that when I do X, Y, or Z, this causes problems in the office. And then you can have an action plan around that. Well, how important is emotional intelligence in this? I mean, I, I think you have to be so self-aware or you should be at least doing some significant self-reflection to try to understand yourself. And, and I mean, that's got to be a critical element of this. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. It's, it's you, you, you have to examine yourself and say, why is the behavior affecting me in this particular way? So, you know, we all, again, in addition to bringing our personalities, we all bring our life experiences to the table. So let's say somebody says something insensitive about, you know, I don't know what, and you happen to have an experience in your life where that's a particular sensitivity for you, but for all of the people next to you, that sensitivity doesn't exist. It's going to be important to be able to self-reflect and say, well, this is an issue for me because of what I bring to the table, and it's not necessarily, you know, an overtly or, or uniformly disruptive thing to have done. Again, the, the example that I gave with you yourself would require a tremendous amount of emotional intelligence to be able to sort of say, this is a problem and I'm going to hunt it down and figure out what's wrong. What more often than not happens is that people have trouble in workplace after workplace after workplace and find that everyone around them is what they would consider a jerk or an idiot or a schmuck. And then only after much, much trial and error do they say, wow, maybe I'm the problem. And sometimes people never even get there. 
Well, I'm going to steal a very popular quote and use it in the context here. And if you cannot identify the schmuck in your office, <laughs> you, you are the schmuck. I can't recall the actual original quote that, that kind of goes with that context. But I, that's, I, I guess that's part of what you have to think about is, all right, well, am, am I the problem here? Here's the other weakness that I have personally, Jody, that when I have been a schmuck and someone has called me out on it, I get very defensive. And oftentimes I suspect the big problem here is that when someone does take action to call someone out, it's done from a very punitive framework and and it's punishment and it's accusations and it's a a tense interaction. Is there a way to do this in a way that's constructive and positive and and can actually be looked upon as as a really cool opportunity to get to know one another better and be positive versus this thing where, oh, he's just out to get me. He's a schmuck too. That's a great point. No, it's a really great point. And I, and I, again, I, th- I think it's very evolved of you to note that you get defensive when this happens. And the person who has called you out might walk away and say, oh, he didn't listen to me. He didn't get it. But I'm guessing, again, just from what I'm learning about you on this phone call, that even if you got defensive, you probably heard what they said and, and are taking it under advisement for the next time. And so a lot of misunderstandings can even, ha- even happen at the time when somebody does call you out on something. So I think that the basic point is that as safe as an environment can be made to do this, there are certain environments where you know you absolutely can't say anything about anything or you're going to get in trouble. Well, obviously, those are the worst environments. Then there are other environments where it is really safe, where if somebody upsets you, hurts your feelings, offends you, whatever, you know that it is perfectly okay to say what you just did was not okay and the two of you are going to move forward together because you understand that the the calling out was done with all of the best intentions. It all has to do with the environment that you create around yourself. And and even in a difficult culture, if you are just the type of person who does this and you create that environment just in your own personal sphere, it's going to go better for you. Well, we do a lot of leadership development on this show, and and one of the big lessons is that leaders have to get to know their people. They need to understand who they are, what motivates them, what inspires them, how they – how they, what their dreams are and aspirations career-wise and all that. And then I think that same process applies to understanding how these people need to be worked with and how yep. to approach them. And that, I think that can solve a lot of this issue. I imagine another very common scenario, Jody, is this idea that when someone's being a schmuck and you're frustrated, you don't do anything about it. You let it fester and it just becomes this bigger and bigger cancer that's affecting the whole organization. How important is early action and getting ahead of this thing? Early action is absolutely key. It is central because you are right. A single disruptive person can infect a individual interaction leading to infecting a team and it can even bring an entire workplace to a halt. I mean, if you just think to any interaction that you may have had where somebody made you feel a feeling that was uncomfortable or that you didn't like, did you really uh, you know, skip into work that next day? You probably felt some dread because you were going to see that person. And eventually, if this thing festers, maybe you're not quite as uh, attentive at work or present. And maybe your productivity can start to drift. And then, like I said, it can just go on and on and on until it can have absolutely tremendous consequences. Well, it's easier to solve the problem early on, too. And, 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 and we talked earlier about doing it in a way that's not – 
seemed seen as as punitive. So the earlier that occurs, I suspect that's easier as well. Earlier and, and directly and concisely. I mean, there doesn't have to be a lot of affect around it, and it doesn't have to be a you know a a, a tome of information. It should just be a concise and direct. This is what happened. I didn't like it. Um, you know, I like to use the example when my little boy was in pre-kindergarten and, and he'd be on the playground and he'd run to the teacher and say, you know, I didn't like what Sally did to me just now. And the teacher wouldn't intervene. The teacher would turn him right around and send him back out of the playground and say, well, go tell Sally you didn't like that. And I think we lose that as we grow up. And if we would just sort of recapture a little bit of that, uh, I think we would all be surprised at the incredibly exponential effect that can have in a workplace. It's an amazing, through all different realms of business, from creativity to innovation to how to manage people better, it all seems to, the things we did on the playground in recess <laughs> seem to always be, you know, those are probably the best ways to deal with some business scenarios as well. It's funny how that happens. So another question that I have is, I imagine there are, a lot of people listening to this who are going, wait a minute, all right, it's one thing if my colleague or a, a teammate on a, on a team in the office or the guy sitting next to me in the cube uh, or, you know, just colleagues, people that are I'm on the same level on the org chart, that's one thing to go deal with them directly when they're being a schmuck. But what do you do if, if your boss right. is the schmuck? How, how, do you, right. how do you deal with that scenario? That's got to be tricky. Right. I mean, you know, these things are all tricky. And, and, and uh, you know, the point of this book is to sort of uh, lead a horse to water a little bit and to get people to just start to think about this. I don't expect that somebody's going to, you know, read the book and say, you know, I'm, you know, suddenly I'm going to be able to intervene and, and, and be direct with everybody around me all the time. That said, you know, when you collect little victories, when you have these direct exchanges and you see the power of, early intervention and calling things out so that they don't fester, you, you develop a little bit more confidence to be able to do it more and more the next time. And I would argue that a boss is a person just like the coworker in the cubicle next to you. And, you know, a good boss should appreciate feedback and that you should be just as able, again, because I'm not saying that you're screaming at somebody. I'm not saying you're insulting them. I'm just saying that with, with, you know, without affect in a fact-based way to just say this thing that you did is a problem for me or that you do is a problem for me, that, you know, one should have the bravery to be just as able to do that with a boss as with anybody else. And, you know, an unintended consequence of that is that the boss might end up trusting you more and that the boss might end up, you know, perceiving you as a trusted advisor. You just don't know. But these are all just about human interactions. The other thing about it that we haven't really uh, touched on and a big part of the book is that from my experience of doing this now for as long as I have is that it seems that the types of people who get into trouble with other people at work, and that's a very specific sort of categorization, seem to fall into the same 10 buckets all the time. And and that's pretty much what the book is about. And so if you know that you know somebody's behavior pattern that's difficult falls into a particular, you know, let's say the bean counter bucket, you know, an obsessive compulsive micromanaging bucket. There are specific ways to intervene with such a person as opposed to, you know, the the person who uh, has narcissistic pathology and, and has a completely different, 
you know, profile. Well, it's funny you said that because I was just going to go and ask you to comment a bit because there are 10 different types of difficult schmucks in an office place. You touched on a couple of them, the bean counter and the narcissist. Uh, what are some other common ones and, and, and shed a little bit more light on why? I mean, yeah, it's important, even if you don't understand that most people I'm worried are not going to say, all right, oh, this person's difficult. Let me go pull Jody's book from the shelf and try to classify them, and then that will guide and inform how I proceed. I don't know that's going to happen out of the gate. Direct early action is, is creed, no matter, I guess, no matter really what their personality right. type. But that really does inform and can be really, really important in, in helping do that. So talk more about these 10 classifications. I don't have time to go into all of them, but, but talk about why it's so important to, to understand the bucket that they're in. Yeah, so I mean, if if you think about what drives people to act badly, like like again, let's take the bean counter, the obsessive and compulsive. What is their underlying basic anxiety? It's that they're going to lose control. But you know, look at the narcissistic, the, the character that I call Narcissus. Um, what's what's driving his or her anxiety? Well, it's that they're going to perhaps be discovered as not quite as expansive and capable and all that as they want to appear. The, you know, a, a, a paranoid person also is driven by, am I going to lose control of a situation? And, and somebody who I would call the swindler is being driven by, you know, I got to take care of myself because no one's going to take care of me and they might end up embezzling from your company. So there are these 10 types. They're all based upon people who not personality disorders, not people with illnesses, uh, medical or psychiatric, just people who have traits that are common that they bring to the office and, and, and that have trouble. So they are the narcissus, what I would call the Venus flytrap, which is um, the sort of unstable sense of self, very seductive character who tends to draw people in, but eventually spit them out, have a, a real kind of push-pull, walking on eggshells feel when they're in the office. As I mentioned, the swindler who might have sociopathic tendencies, being countered, the distracted would be somebody who has you know, a lot of trouble with time management or closing the deal or getting the job done. And in its most pathological forms, this person might be someone who has an attention deficit issue if there were a diagnosable issue. Uh, Mr. Hyde is the person who I call who might be given to substance use, and obviously that can have a tremendous effect in the office. The lost is the character who might be experiencing some cognitive decline. This is uh, very common with aging employees who've been in a position for some time and they start to evidence less previous intelligence. The robotic character would be somebody who I guess we colloquially would call falls on the spectrum, but somebody for, for whom it's very difficult to connect and they lack social nuance. The suspicious character is somebody who has a conspiratorial or paranoid outlook on the world. And finally, the eccentric character is people who are just kind of weird or strange and just bring odd beliefs to the office that cause people to raise an eyebrow. Hmm. Okay. Well, I think I'm a hybrid of all of that. So, <laughs> all right. Well, that's the other, that's another point too, is that you, I suspect that can happen as well is that some people have some, you know, some, they're not just in one bucket. Almost everybody has uh, uh, combinations. Yeah. It's very rare to have somebody who's just in cleanly in one bucket. 
Well, as I said a minute ago, boy, taking direct early action is is the critical strategy here. But boy, if you do understand what bucket they're in in terms of their their type, it really does inform the language that you use and the in the approach that you take, and that can just be so game changing. And how and it you, also inter it, it also informs the day to day way you interact with them to yes. avoid having disruption at all. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jody, there's so much more we could go into. We need another couple hours to really dive into all the nuances of this fascinating stuff so grateful for the work that you've put into this whole field of study and uh, I'm as I record this I'm uh, in a high-rise in Chicago Illinois looking out at, at dozens and dozens of, of high-rises corporate buildings with thousands and thousands of employees a lot of schmucks out there and boy we, we really uh, can benefit from the work you're doing here to help us uh, improve and and bring more meaning to that workplace so uh, we're about out of time Jody so before we let you go should anyone have any questions on this how can they find you where can they learn about your actual work and then most importantly where can they get their hands on a copy of the book so all of those answers can be found on www.schmuckinmyoffice.com schmuckinmyoffice.com when I first got the copy of the book I thought it said the schnick in my <laughs> office and I thought oh my gosh that's pretty specific uh, field of study so good stuff alright Dr. Jody Foster the clinical professor of psychiatry and the author of a new book The Schmuck in My Office How to Deal Effectively with Difficult People at Work Jody great to have you thanks again for stopping by thank you so much bye bye alright all the time we have for today again on behalf of my guest Dr. Jody Foster I am Todd Schnick we'll see you soon on Intrepid Business. Thank you for listening to Intrepid Media. We appreciate your attention. To receive everything we do, simply go to intrepidmailinglist.com. That's intrepidmailinglist.com and sign up. You can also find us at intrepid.media and on iTunes. And to support the important work we do on your behalf, a rating and review on iTunes will help spread our work far and wide. Again, we certainly appreciate your support. Now, get out there, be intrepid, and we'll see you next time.